Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Thursday, December 1st, 2022. It's been 3,200 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27th, 2014 and 281 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess that the Kremlin is trying to control the information space to assuage Russian war hawks who continue to express frustration and disappointment with the lack of progress in Ukraine. Second, we maintain that Russian President Vladimir Putin is facing unrest inside and outside the Kremlin. If there continue to be military failures, there is a remote chance Russia could face a regime change. Third, we assess that the risk of terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure is high, with another round of attacks likely this week. Fourth, we maintain that Russia will not stop until the Ukrainian electrical grid and natural gas network are completely destroyed, or Russia's supply of missiles and drones is exhausted. Fifth, we maintain that the risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction is possible. Sixth, We maintain that Russia is conducting stealth mobilization and may be preparing for the second wave of partial mobilization in January 2023. Seventh, we assess that the slowdown in combat operations on multiple axes will end in the next 10 to 25 days, with winter weather conditions starting to sweep across Ukraine. Eighth, we maintain that neither belligerent will institute a winter pause. Ninth, We maintain that President Putin's inner circle is actively targeting Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu for dismissal and replacement due to continued military failures in Ukraine. Tenth, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations. Eleventh, We maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. Twelfth, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, 
forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. And finally, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine has diminished, but remains a possibility in the next 40 to 70 days. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kherson and Zaporizhia. There was mutual shelling by both belligerents across the Dnipro, with a continued reduction in activity. Russian forces conducted 18 fire missions on the free Ukraine territories west of the Dnipro River, targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure. That's a 15% reduction from yesterday. Four civilians were injured during the continued attacks. A strike in the evening hours caused electricity and water service to fail in the parts of the city of Kherson where it had been restored. This is the second time in a week that Russian forces have targeted electrical infrastructure in Kherson. The exiled mayor of Oleshki, Yevhen Ryschuk, reported that Russian forces committed an extrajudicial execution of a family, killing both parents and seriously wounding their adult son. The wounded person was taken away by Russian forces. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Russian troops are withdrawing from Olishki and Holopristan and moving to prepared defenses in the tree line along the P-57 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line. There have been reports of Russian troops abandoning both settlements that have not been accurate. Due to tighter Russian operational security, a lack of Russian state media coverage, and, to be frank, a lack of Chechen forces with cell phones, there really isn't any supporting information. There is evidence that Russian troops have been pulling back from the east bank of the Dnipro to get out of range of Ukrainian tubed artillery, where the belligerents have near parity and Ukraine has a range advantage. In Novokakhovka, Russian troops have occupied the Kakhovka Dam on the east bank and are using the location as a firing position across the Dnipro. The situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant has somewhat destabilized, with Moscow exerting its will to take control of the facility. Rosatom announced that the new manager of the ZNPP is Yuri Chernichuk, the chief engineer working for the Ukrainian state enterprise Energoatom before the start of the war. Renat Karcha, the advisor to the Rosatom general director, claims Chernichuk has been collaborating with Moscow for, quote, several months and that all of the leadership roles at the power plant are occupied by former Enerhoatim employees that signed Russian contracts. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, had not released a statement at the time of recording. Rosatom claims that one of the top priorities is disconnecting ZNPP from the Ukrainian power grid and linking it to the Russian grid through Crimea. The Russian state-run company made a similar announcement in late July, which resulted in the destruction of high-voltage power lines that led to Crimea, stymieing the plan. The company claims it has no plans to leave the facility or to ask the Kremlin to demilitarize the area. Ukrainian forces continue to target Russian positions in Polokhi and Tokmak, rekindling speculation that Ukraine is preparing to launch an offensive from either Orekhiv or Huliapola. Ukrainian forces started offensive operations from Kuliopola and Orihiv in late July, with Russian sources exposing advances of 8 to 10 kilometers south of each town. The front stabilized in August when Ukraine started its counteroffensives in Kherson and Kharkiv. 
Strikes on Polokhi and the surrounding communities have wounded up to 600 Russian soldiers this week, according to the GSAFU. Another 100 Russian troops were reportedly killed or wounded in strikes on Injinerne, Polokhi, and Tokmak, and five pieces of equipment were destroyed. Ukrainian forces conducted suppress and destroy enemy air defense activity at an intense level from June to October, with effort renewing. A Russian electronic warfare, or EW, installation was destroyed in Polokhi. Supporting the reports, Russian occupiers have moved the military hospital from Polokhi to Melitopol, which is typically a defensive move. Oleksiy Kishel, a Russian collaborator and the chief of the Department of Internal Affairs of Tokmak Rayan, was killed in an artillery strike. Some assessment here. Russian defensive lines in eastern Kherson and occupied Zaporizhia are largely built on a north-south axis and don't appear to have been set up in anticipation of an attack from the north. We've maintained since the summer that if Ukraine were to advance into Zaporizhia, it would be an advance toward Melitopol, which would effectively isolate the Russian units in western Zaporizhia and east of the Dnipro. We are reluctant to declare that Ukraine is preparing major operations in this direction, as the armed forces have been setting conditions since June. Over the summer, the suppress-and-destroy enemy air defense work was likely to provide an air-dominance environment in western Kherson by eliminating threats east of the Dnipro. Ukrainian forces have avoided attacking the so-called obvious choice throughout the war, instead electing to bypass strongholds. The terrain of eastern Kherson and southern Zaporizhia favors Russia, If we consider the terrain, an advance down the Mokriyali River along the Donetsk-Zaporizhia administrative border would appear to be a preferred Ukrainian route. The challenge with an assault in that direction is it does not provide a clear strategic goal. But it does bypass many strongholds after an initial punch through Russian lines near Velika Novosilka. It would cut off Russian GLOCs across Zaporizhia from Donetsk. There was sporadic artillery and tank fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapola, to Orekhiv, to Mali-Sherbaki. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southwest Donetsk. There was a sharp increase in fighting across the axis in southwest Donetsk, with Russian forces unable to make territorial gains. The front has largely become frozen, with several villages and towns becoming no-man's land, where the line of conflict moves 500 to 1,500 meters a day in either direction. The Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, claimed that Ukrainian forces attempted to advance on Novodonetsk and were unsuccessful. There are two Novodonetskis in the Donetsk Oblast, and the one in the report is southeast of Velika Novosilka. No other sources reported fighting in the area. There are rumors that Russian forces are building strength and reserves south of Vuladar, a supply and transit node the DNR has been trying to capture since 2014. We will not speculate on unconfirmed reports. The Russian MOD also reported continued fighting east of Novomikhailivka. No other source reported fighting in the area, but positional fighting is likely ongoing. Every source we track reported continued fighting in Marenka, with Russian sources claiming that the center of the city is being shelled and that no progress has been made by the 1st Army Corps and the Russian troops supporting them. Mercenaries with Wargonzo reported continued fighting east of Krasnohorivka, which they described as, quote, intense. <laughs> 
South of Avdiivka, fighting continued south and east of the Ukrainian firebase in Nevelske, on the outskirts of Pervomaiske from the E-50 ring road on the Pisky border. And there was another failed attempt to advance into Vodyana. The First Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, attempted to advance on Kamyanka, and in a fit of absolute consistency, fell back to their starting positions after suffering losses. The occupied cities of Makivka, Horlivka, and Donetsk continued to be shelled. The People's Militia of the DNR released their not-so-five-o'clock follies today with some possibly realistic numbers. Officials claim that the 1st Army Corps destroyed two D-30 howitzers, two main battle tanks, and seven, quote, pieces of armored and automotive equipment. The Russian MOD did not report any artillery destroyed today, and only one tank in the areas where DNR troops are present. Ukrainian forces conducted 139 fire missions across the occupied territories. Some assessment here. Earlier in the month, the reports were clearly under Chechen leadership's influence. It appears that control has been returned to DNR officials. In northeast Donetsk, Bakhmut and Solidar continue to see the most intense fighting in Ukraine, with a return to intense fighting across the entire line of conflict. We continue our best efforts to cut through the fog of war and a significant amount of disinformation about the ongoing situation. The GSAFU reported another attempt by the private military company or PMC Wagner Group to advance on Yakovlivka without success. Ukrainian sources reported fighting on the eastern edges of Solodar and in Bakhmutska. The GSAFU reported Pithorodno was shelled. We disagree with other analysts that this is a critical situation for Ukrainian forces, as Russian troops have launched periodic advances at the northeast suburb of Bakhmut since August 9th. Several videos indicate that PMC Wagner has retaken strongholds on the E-40 highway east of Bakhmut and advanced two to 400 meters east. Russian forces have taken positions in trenches northeast of Bakhmut along a ridge which are being heavily shelled. This doesn't represent new territorial gains, but rather a shift in momentum and the recapture of previously lost positions. Another video showed Russian positions on the east side of the E-40 highway hit by Ukrainian artillery. Pavlo Kerelenko, Donetsk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Bakhmut was subject to intense shelling, with more scattered artillery fire on Bakhmutska and Yakovlivka. Construction of the Wagner Line, which includes half-height dragon's teeth, trenches, and berms, continues from Hirskozolote and Popazna in Luhansk and has reached Volodymyrivka, about 10 kilometers east of Solidar. While offensive operations continue, building the defensive line so close to the existing front doesn't exude long-term confidence that if Solidar is captured, it can be held beyond the short term. Construction appears to be continuing uninterrupted by Ukrainian forces. Intense fighting continued in Opitne, the one four kilometers south of Bakhmut, with no change in the situation. Okay, here is our best attempt to cut through the fog of war on the situation south of Bakhmut along the T-513 highway and parallel railroad line. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian positions in Klishayivka were shelled, and there were no further claims of the town being under Russian occupation. 
Based on available information, we assess the settlement is under Ukrainian control. Glishayevka is protected by water obstacles and sits on a ridge, making its capture challenging. The hamlet of Andreevka, with a pre-war population of 74, is likely under the control of PMC Wagner, and we moved the line of conflict further west. Ukrainian sources report Zelenopilia was captured by Russian forces, while Kurdyumivka remains contested. Mercenaries with Rybar claim that Kurdyumivka is under Russian control. Due to the conflicting reports, we maintain that the settlement is contested. The lack of picture and video evidence, and the rampant use of fake videos by the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, the DNR, and PMC Wagner just add to the confusion. The Russian MOD made another false claim that Spirna was recaptured, which was disputed by Russian mercenaries from Rybar and Wargonzo. The exact same thing can be said about Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk, with the Russian MOD claiming the ruins of the village were recaptured and their report disputed by the GSAFU, Wargonzo, and Rybar. Time for some assessment. The PMC Wagner-backed telegram channel Greyzone released a video of a Ukrainian soldier expressing dissatisfaction with leadership and the conditions east of Bakhmut. Based on the conditions in the trench, the video was likely recorded weeks ago, due to a lack of mud, water, and snow, and the presence of green plants. Ukraine is using a combination of territorial guards, which receive less training and less equipment, and elite units. Conditions are very difficult for both belligerents, and we see other analysts writing the obituary for the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut. We have assessed since August that the continued attacks on the Bakhmut-Solidar axis were wasting Russian military resources and became pointless after Ukraine liberated Izum and Lehman. See, if the Russian Ministry of Defense decides to concentrate its combat power on this axis, it is at high risk of making the exact same mistake that happened in July. It will waste its limited combat strength capturing two bomb-blasted towns with little strategic value. We maintain that, like Severodonetsk and Lysychansk, it is unlikely Russia would be able to hold Bakhmut and Solidar beyond the short term. The emergence of videos from Ukrainian troops complaining about conditions on the front indicates that morale is suffering due to the war of attrition. The general staff needs to apply the lessons it learned in Lysychansk and maintain frequent troop rotations on the front to prevent psychological and physical burnout. Providing troops with a warm meal, a hot shower, and a dry place to sleep in the second echelon without being subject to constant artillery and drone attacks extends the fighting capabilities of individual soldiers. Additionally, frequent rotation enables replacement troops to integrate into their new unit and get advice and additional training on fighting and surviving from senior leaders with more combat experience, something that is impossible when replacements are rotated directly to the front line. The collapse of the defense of Lysychansk in early July was attributed to not actively rotating frontline troops enough, resulting in a collapse of morale. We also believe that holding Bakhmut and Solidar for the next 14 to 21 days is critical for Ukraine, with winter weather and sub-freezing temperatures ready to sweep the nation next week. 
Russian forces and their proxies have less access to rear areas in a second echelon that can provide critical infrastructure to maintain morale in cold weather. By the end of the week, winter weather will become a fifth column working against the Russian siege. Moving on to Luhansk, along the Kharkiv-Luhansk administrative border, fighting continued in Novoselivsky and Kuzimivka. Ukrainian troops remain unable to advance further on the P-7 highway G-lock towards Svatova. Russian troops made another attempt to recapture Stelmakivka, which was unsuccessful. The Russian MOD continues to report fighting in Ploshanka, and the GSAFU reported Ukrainian positions were shelled in the town. Multiple Russian sources reported continued fighting southwest of Chervonopopivka, and the GSAFU reported that Ukrainian positions within the town were shelled. While Wargonzo did not expressly state that Ukrainian forces had entered the settlement, they described the situation as, quote, tense, and did not claim that the Ukrainian attack was unsuccessful. The Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian forces attempted to advance on Zhitlivka, southeast of Chervonopopivka and three kilometers northwest of Kremina. Positional fighting continued east of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, with no change in the situation. Leonid Pesechnik, the self-declared leader of the LNR, claimed that Popazna would be partially rebuilt because restoring the train station is critical for Russian GLOCs in the region. Popazna was on the Minsk II border, suffered sporadic attacks since 2014, and was under siege from March 1st to May 12th. In the process of capturing the town of 20,000, Colonel General Alexander Lapin employed a scorched-earth policy, with Russian artillery units firing as many as 20,000 shells and rockets per day as they advanced on Severodonetsk and Hirskozolote. The siege left the town uninhabitable, with only 200 residents remaining when the Russian flag was hoisted over the administrative building. The vital railroad connections have been unusable since, and no effort has been made to restore the infrastructure. Construction on the Wagner Line continues around Svatova unabated and without apparent interference from Ukrainian forces. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. In the Cherniev, Kharkiv and Sumy region, Ole Sinyubov, Kharkiv Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Kupiansk is under almost constant shelling and rocket attacks, with Russian forces targeting civilians, civilian infrastructure and Ukrainian positions. A metro station was struck during the evening while it was unoccupied, resulting in no injuries. Dmitry Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that the Hromadas of Bilopilia, Seredina Buda, Krasnopilia, and Esmen were attacked by Russian forces from across the international border. In Bilopilia, a hospital was targeted, causing significant damage and killing a 15-year-old as he tried to run to a shelter. Four hospital departments were damaged or destroyed, and the roof of the building was compromised. In Esmen, Russian forces fired 20 120mm mortar rounds, striking nine homes and a kindergarten. There were no injuries reported. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, 
Vitaly Kim, Mykolaiv Oblast's administrative and military governor, reported that Ukrainian military operations are continuing on the Kinburn Spit, saying the liberation is ongoing, quote, in the mode of informational silence, end quote. He further reported that on November 28th, 37 Ukrainian nationals were forcibly removed from the villages along the estuary. The Russian Black Sea Fleet maintains nine vessels on patrol, with one missile carrier capable of launching eight caliber cruise missiles. In western and central Ukraine, Russian forces attacked Marchanets with grad rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, and artillery. In Chervonohryorivka, several homes and gas and electrical lines were damaged. Moving on to the Russian front, Ukrainian forces fired counter-battery on Russian artillery positions in Tietkno in Kursk, where many attacks on the Sumy border originate. At least one home was damaged in the counter-strike. There was an explosion at a power plant in Perm, Russia, caused by an industrial accident. Closed-circuit cameras within the plant show a massive explosion due to equipment failure that has likely disabled the plant for weeks. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky held another meeting of the staff of the Supreme Commander-in-Chief to discuss the creation of countermeasures, quote, more powerful than now, end quote, against Russian forces in the occupied territories. To date, neither belligerent has deployed many troops freed up by the Russian retreat across the Dnipro on November 10th. It is somewhat unclear where Ukraine has moved its forces, while Russian military leaders have spread them out along the line of conflict from Vulidar to Svatova. While there is a lot of fighting along the line of conflict from Donetsk to the Kharkiv border, Rasputitsa continues to dominate the battlefield, impacting both belligerents. Temperatures are expected to be below freezing across most of Ukraine next week. This will firm up the ground and support the increased use of armored vehicles to support light infantry. The main intelligence directorate of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, or GUR, reported that Russian activity at Engels Airfield in Russia is not extraordinary and was part of normal operations. In a reversal from the widespread assessment from the GUR, the general staff and analysts, including our team earlier in the week, Vadim Skibitsky said, quote, Observe information hygiene and don't trust rumors, end quote. Okay, but you were the first one to report that, you know what, it's fine. It's fine. It's all fine. Skibitsky said the apparent, quote, pause was likely caused by Russia needing to maintain a strategic reserve of missiles in case a war breaks out on a second front, the high failure rate of Cold War-era KH-22 missiles, which are exploding in mid-flight, and the difficulties of building new KH-102 and caliber cruise missiles due to sanctions. He did not feel that the threat of a wide-scale missile strike had gone away, but believes it's taking Russia longer to prepare its next strike due to supply issues. The GUR also reiterated that they are not observing the formation of a significant strike group in Belarus that would be capable of successfully advancing into Ukraine. Skibitsky said during the same briefing, quote, We expect an intensification of combat training in Belarus as a new academic year starts on December 1st in the armed forces of this country. The troops will exercise at the training grounds, will work out various issues of combat coordination and checks of branches and troops, 
Therefore, we expect active measures on the Belarusian territory. However, I would like to note that today there are no signs of the deployment of a powerful strike group on the territory of Belarus. End quote. The Security Service of Ukraine, or SSU, arrested a 51 year old man who attempted to plant a bomb near the president's office in Kyiv. The man told officials he was frustrated with the power outages, and a search of his phone and apartment found pro Russian materials. Okay, so we didn't include his picture in the situation report, but the guy looks like he's straight out of the U.S. reality TV series Cops. You know the one. Filmed with the men and women of law enforcement, all suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. <laughs> Sorry, you, you know the one. President Zelensky, during his national address, reported that six million Ukrainians still remain without electrical power, and that the distribution of repair work has not been equitable. The city of Kyiv and the Venetia, Lviv, Odessa, Khmelnytsky, and Cherkasy oblasts are the hardest hit areas. Zelensky said, quote, People see that in neighboring houses or on nearby streets, for some reason, the rules regarding light are different, and there should be justice and clarity. End quote. The Turkish company Car Powership is discussing with Ukrainian leaders of state-run energy company Ukrenerho to place three power plant ships in Odessa that can produce up to 300 megawatts. That's enough to power one million homes. It's unclear what hurdles would have to be crossed to bring the ships into Odessa and if Russia would consider them military targets. The United States Department of Defense signed a $1.2 billion contract with Raytheon to produce NASM's anti aircraft systems for Ukraine. The six air defense systems will be built in Massachusetts with delivery completed by November 2025. United States Secretary of State Antony Blinken said that NATO intends to help fund the production of Soviet era weapons and munitions in the Czech Republic, Slovakia, and Bulgaria. To help Ukraine and further strengthen NATO's defensive position for countries that are still reliant on Cold War era military hardware from the Soviet Union. Speaking of cold, let's talk about Russian mobilization. In Moscow, authorities are stringing up loudspeakers across the city and building bomb shelters in basements and parking garages. The political theater is likely ongoing to prop up waning support for the special military operation, which is inching closer to the one-year mark. Kremlin disinformation directed at the Russian people claims that Russia is already at war with all of NATO. The Russian MOD frequently makes the false claim that NATO forces are engaged in direct or indirect combat operations, particularly when they lose. And we would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for those meddling kids. I mean, NATO troops. Our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah, Mobik, and a new title, Tunnel Rat, Igor Girkin-Strelkov, has reappeared on social media after his last post on November 9th. In the photo, which we do include in our full situation report on Patreon, he's holding a flag that closely resembles the Confederate battle flag of Virginia, but is in fact the flag of Novorossiya, or New Russia, which was created in 2014 and represents the vision of a confederation between the self-declared DNR and LNR. By the condition of the bunker and the cleanliness of Strelkov, he appears to be, as we say, in the rear with the gear. 
Another term that comes to mind is REMF. You'll need to find a United States veteran to explain it, because otherwise we have to flag the podcast for containing explicit content. And I don't want to do that. Russian Colonel Denis Davidov, the commander of a radiation, chemical, and biological protection regiment, was reported killed in action in Ukraine on November 29th. He is the 46th colonel to die in combat since February 24th and was a war veteran who fought in Syria. The widow of Russian Colonel Vadim Boyka, who allegedly killed himself by firing five rounds into his chest using up to four sidearms, wrote an open letter to Russian President Vladimir Putin. She claims that her husband, who was the deputy commander of the Pacific Higher Naval School and was responsible for area mobilization, was set up to fail by his superiors, who continued to pile work on him without added support. He missed what she says were impossible recruitment goals from Moscow and moved into an additional role resulting in him facing criminal charges and a fine of up to 100 million rubles. Sleepless and losing 15 kilograms, she claims that the pressure from leadership caused him to kill himself. Okay, important sidebar here. Suicide is a sensitive topic, and its discussion can trigger deep and disturbing feelings. If you are having suicidal thoughts or you're despondent, there is help available. In the United States, call 988 or 800-273-8255, or you can text 741741. Veterans can text 838255. In Canada, call 833-456-4566 or text 45645. Texting is available from 4 p.m. to midnight Eastern Daylight Time. In the United Kingdom, 0800-689-6852 or 999. In Ireland, free phone 116123 for Ireland and Northern Ireland or for Ireland only, text 50808. In Australia, Call 13 11 14 or 000 or text 0477 13 11 14. In New Zealand, call 0508 828 865 or 1. Self-declared and acting leader of the LNR Pasechnik announced he was rescinding restrictions on the movement of citizens of the LNR across the Russian border. Despite his claims that mobilization is over, Multiple reports state men are still being removed from the streets after ID checks, and there are continuing recruitment goals across occupied Luhansk. Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu has declared mission accomplished for partial mobilization, declaring that 300,000 MOBICs were trained in two months at 100 locations and 8,000 crews for tanks, infantry fighting vehicles, artillery, air defense, and drone operations were created. PMC Wagner channels have mocked the announcement and called out the Kremlin for inadequately equipping the mobilized while polishing Yevgeny Prigozhin's rising star. In a staged interview, Prigozhin was asked why his company Wagner Group hasn't experienced the same equipment shortages the Russian MOD has suffered. He responded, quote, Thank you very much for your concern, but the Wagner Group today has everything you need. The Wagner Group software works flawlessly. As for quadrocopters, helmets, walkie-talkies, unloadings, other military ammunition, and technical bells and whistles, I will recommend you help the militias and volunteers of those units that need it. End quote. While we have derisively assessed that Russian soldiers who end up in a Russian penal colony have an opportunity to receive better training, equipment, and pay with Wagner, 
also a much shorter lifespan. It isn't completely accurate to state that PMC Wagner is meeting the needs of all its mercenaries. Channels such as ROTM and Greyzone have made occasional crowdsourcing requests, but nothing to the level that Russian Mobix and volunteer units make. That wasn't the point of the staged question. It was another attempt to dig at the Kremlin and portray the PMC as the most competent force fighting in Ukraine. The Kremlin also announced that weapon production would increase between 68 and 97 percent in 2023, a suggestion that PMC Wagner channels also publicly dismissed, going after Shoigu. In a long post on multiple Wagner social media channels, it was pointed out that most weapons fielded by Russian troops were developed during the Soviet era, and that the Russian MOD ignored the development of effective drones. The social media blitz ends with, quote, As we can see, mainly Soviet equipment, good old Cold War veterans, and their late Russian modifications participate in this special military operation. What kind of 68% rearmament and increase in combat capabilities are we talking about? We absolutely do not understand. End quote. While slapping Shoigu and his announcements, Prigozhin is hoping that readers will ignore that PMC Wagner is using some of the most state-of-the-art equipment available from the Russian arsenal. Yuri Ignat, a spokesperson for the Air Force of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, supported our assessment that Russia has likely used up its supply of Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones and is facing a delay in production. We had assessed in October that Russia was using the Iranian drones at an unsustainable rate. After the first 7 to 10 days of attacks, Ukraine's air defenses had adapted, limiting their effectiveness. The Russian state Duma has passed a law that effectively bans protests in Russia. Protesters are barred from congregating near buildings of public authority, churches, railway stations, schools, airports, parking lots, universities, hospitals, and vital facilities such as electricity, heating, water, and gas networks. In the very strictest interpretation, that would bar protests in an area near power lines. The Duma also empowered Russia's 85 federal districts to create stricter laws against organized protests. Russian cadets in academies will face early graduation in January as replacement junior officers in the field, despite no combat experience. Russia has lost 1,064 junior officers since February 24th, not including those wounded in action or who retired from the military after completing their initial contracts over the summer. That number only includes open-source intelligence confirmation, using obituaries and in-memoriam posts on social media. Another round of partial mobilization is widely expected to start in January 2023, after the fall 2022 conscripts complete their training. Russian soldiers on and off the battlefield are expressing frustration at stop-loss action that is preventing planned retirements from the military. Soldiers are being told that because Russian President Putin did not sign a decree ending mobilization, they can be held in service of the Russian armed forces indefinitely as a, quote, volunteer, despite not having a signed contract. Commanders under pressure to fulfill staffing levels are refusing to sign dismissal paperwork. For those on the front line, volunteers are only treated at hospitals in the occupied territories 
and frequently have their disability and extended medical care claims ignored at best and rejected at worst. Many families report that they are not receiving payments, benefits, or death benefits for those who remain mobilized as volunteers. There are scattered reports and pictures of Russian troops suffering cold-weather injuries from hypothermia. Military experts and our analyst team believe this will be a bigger problem in the coming weeks. We had assessed in late May that if Russia didn't mobilize by June, it would be impossible to properly train a fighting force to be prepared for winter conditions. Partial mobilization started on September 21st, and there is little evidence that Mobix received wide-scale training for winter survival skills. The Russian FSO completed a closed poll for the Kremlin on public sentiment about the ongoing special military operation. And the Russian people don't feel it's very special anymore. According to the survey completed in October, before the Russian retreat from Kherson, 57% favored having peace talks, while 27% supported the ongoing war. Mm, Sorry, special military operation. Support for the ongoing effort to pacify all of Ukraine plunged by 28% since the previous survey in August. Analysts believe the waning support is not because of losses on the battlefield, but due to partial mobilization, a slowing economy, and the war becoming much more real for the average Russian. All is going to plan. Good news, there were no significant developments in war crimes and human rights today. We will have a special report on an ongoing Russian disinformation campaign in Mariupol and the people behind it in tomorrow's episode. Moving on to geopolitical news, we have a quick errors and omissions. Last week, a sharp-eared listener captured a geography fail on our part. We reported, erroneously, that the Baikonur Cosmodrome is in Kyrgyzstan, which is not correct. It is located in Kazakhstan and leased to the Russian Federation. We thank you for your understanding and appreciate our listeners and readers enforcing our motto, The Truth Matters. In Madrid, Spain, a security official who works at the Ukrainian embassy was wounded when a package bomb exploded. Some Spanish officials are calling the incident a terrorist attack, with one person moderately injured. The package was addressed to the ambassador of Ukraine in Spain, Serhi Pohoreltsev, and was considered suspicious by the staff when it arrived. The head of security for the embassy took the box outside, opened it, and heard a click causing the blast. Other Ukrainian embassies have been placed on high alert after the attack. The European Union is considering seizing 319 billion euros in frozen Russian assets to invest the money, giving all profits to Ukraine for rebuilding the war-torn nation. Russia said any attempt to seize the assets would be, quote, outright theft. The scheme is only in discussion at this time, and there are numerous false reports that the EU intends to seize the funds to give to Ukraine. Let's just hope they don't invest the money in bitcoins. Will that last sentence result in angry emails to our tips address? Yes, absolutely it will. The EU recommended that 7.5 billion euros of funds allocated to Hungary remain frozen due to its failure to implement democratic reforms. 
The nation is considered a backsliding democracy effectively under autocratic rule by Prime Minister Viktor Orban. The EU member nations have until December 19th to decide on whether to freeze the funds. President Zelensky invited Elon Musk to come to Ukraine to, quote, see everything with your own eyes, end quote, the day after Starlink increased the cost of terminals and internet access in Ukraine. Speaking at the New York Times Dealbook Summit, Zelensky told the audience, quote, It seems to me that Elon began to change his point of view. And every day we heard one or another different calls. I think that either someone influences him, or he somehow does it on his own. I always say absolutely frankly, if you want to understand what Russia has done here, come here to Ukraine, and you will see it all with your own eyes, without just words. And then already after that, you will say how this war should be ended, who started it, and when it can be ended. End quote. In economic news, the ruble was unchanged, holding an exchange rate of 61 for one U.S. dollar. Another quick errors and omissions here. Yesterday, there was a typographical error in the situation report that WTI crude oil was trading at $89 a barrel. Yeah, that should have been $80 a barrel. We thank you for your understanding. Solid economic news in the United States raised stock markets back to a bull rally, driving oil prices upward. WTI crude climbed to $81 a barrel, and Brent rose to 88. United States wholesale RBOB gasoline on the spot market was unchanged, trading at $2.39 per gallon for December 2022 contracts. That's 63 cents a liter. Dutch TTF gas futures skyrocketed, with January and February 2023 deliveries climbing to 152 euros per megawatt hour. Chicago SRW wheat futures remain stable, trading at $7.89 a bushel for March 2023 contracts. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.